This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. When we live in obedience, we live under that protective hand of God. When we walk in disobedience, it's not that God's moved away, it's that we've moved out from underneath that protective hand. And so we get ourselves right in again within the enemy's uh, sights to be able to pour out all kinds of stuff in us. So again, because of their sin, because of their rebellion, they've moved out from underneath the covering of God's hand, and all of this devastation has come against them. How bad do things have to get for you to turn towards God? Does your whole world have to fall apart? Well, as we continue our study in Joel, things had gotten pretty bad for Judah. The prophet was calling the people to repent as their nation was on the verge of destruction. So, will you wait till your life is in shambles to repent of your ways and surrender to Christ? Or are you going to continue pretending that you have everything under control? Let's join Pastor David in the book of Joel, chapter 1, verse 6, for today's study. Peter declared on the day of Pentecost, hey, this is exactly what Joel was saying in the last days. These kinds of things are going to happen. That was 2,000 years ago. I believe that 2,000 years ago, we entered into those last days. So how long are the last days? Come next week, and I'll tell you, okay? No, I won't, but uh, uh, again, we don't know, but we do know that what Joel says, I believe, has a much greater fulfillment even than what took place on the day of Pentecost. Now, as he writes, we we don't know what the uh, date was when he wrote. He doesn't have any uh, mention of any kings or of any kingdoms or of any major battles that are going on. So it's pretty much kind of difficult to place uh, his prophetic message on, on a timeline. And, and different people who give the timelines of, of, of the Old Testament prophets put him at different places. Some date him around 835 to 796 BC during the reign of Joash. Joash was a was king of Israel and they, they put him during that time. Others say that he was probably a contemporary of Hosea, uh, the prophet that was just before him. And that would place him around 755 to 710 BC, about 700, 700 and a half, 700 and a half, 750 however that works, 750 years before Christ. So, But with the thoughts about the above daily, a, a whole lot of uh, feel that this whole idea of the locusts that he's going to speak about here, that it was an actual plague of locusts, not unlike the plagues that hit Egypt, that literally and truly that out of the north, this big horde of locusts came and they just devoured everything. However... Others look at the message of, of Joel and that they believe that his ministry very possibly came just shortly after the fall of Israel, the northern kingdom. And can anybody tell me what date the northern kingdom fell? 722. 
722. Thank you. Yeah, 722 uh, BC. So that's when the northern kingdom, and some people put his, his ministry right after that, and they consider the calamity that, that he's writing about, about literally these locusts that came in and the destruction that came in, to be actually the attack of the Assyrians, because after the Assyrians defeated Israel, they came in to try and wipe out Judah, too. But God restrained them to a point. They did attack a lot of the area of Judah and many of the outside towns away from Jerusalem. And actually, I kind of agree with that thought, and I agree with it, because within this, there's also uh, ways that Joel states this. You might say, yeah, but he says locusts. I understand that. But in chapter 1, verse 6, he speaks that a nation has come against my land, strong and without number. In verse 17 of chapter 1, he says that barns are broken down. Now, I, I guess if you get enough locusts, it'll break down a barn. But invading warriors, they would have no problem with breaking down bars, barns and buildings. In verse 19 and 20 of chapter 1, he says, O Lord, to you I cry out for fire has devoured the open pastures and a flame has burned all the trees of the field and uh, the beasts of the field also cry out to you for the water brooks are dried up and fire has devoured the open pastures. In chapter 2, verse the second part of verse 2, he speaks about a people come great and strong, the like of whom has never been, nor will there ever be any such after them, even for many successive generations. In verses 7 and 8 of chapter 2, he says, They run like mighty men. They climb the wall like men of war. Everyone marches in formation. They don't break rank. They don't push one another. Everyone marches in his own column. Though they lunge between the weapons, they're not cut down. Uh, in verse 17 of chapter 2, the second half of it, he says, and do not give your heritage to reproach that the nations should rule over them. I don't know as the locusts are going to rule over them, but I can see the Assyrians ruling over them. Verse 20 of chapter 2, he says, but I will remove far from you the northern army and I will drive him away into a barren and desolate land with his face toward the eastern sea, his back toward the western sea. His stench will come up and his foul odor will rise because he has done monstrous things. It's during the efforts of the Assyrians whenever they come into a land that literally they will, they will ravage the land itself. They will destroy farm fields. They will burn buildings and, and whole villages down. They will utterly destroy everything in their path. And they are that kind of an army that just pushes forward and forward and forward. And there were just so many that, that most nations really had an extremely hard time ever standing up against them. And when the Assyrians came, you knew that you were in trouble. They would go through and totally destroy the landscape as they went. So even if anyone remained there, they wouldn't be able to grow anything. They wouldn't be able to survive because they so annihilated everything. One thing we do know for certain, as Joel writes this, there was a time of stress, there was time of calamity that had happened to the nation of Judah as 
a whole. A disaster again of, 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 of national proportions had happened and Joel then is led, and we don't know any kind of a background of Joel other than he was the son of Pethuel. And that, that's all we know. At least, uh, for Amos, we know that he was a fig picker and he was a, uh, a shepherd and, uh, he was a non-profit prophet. Uh, his daddy wasn't a prophet and neither was he. Uh, Joel, we don't know much other than God has called him to speak and say these things, not only as warnings to the nation, but also as promises to them. And that's the exciting thing about this short little book. There's almost as much, if not more, promise as there is just this declaration of God's judgment that's on him. And Joel recognizes that in the middle of these calamities, again, they were only just the forerunner of God's great day of judgment. And he calls attention to that a few times within his writings here. So, again, he brings to them in his declaration here a great call for repentance to the nation. And if the people would repent, then God promised safety and blessings, that it would be a time of great outpouring of his Holy Spirit, both for the Jew and Gentile believer. I look at, and, and, and I know we've spoken about this both as we went through Hosea as well as we went through Amos and some of the other books, but I look at this and I kind of glean, okay, Lord, this was a, this was a prophecy to your people, either Israel or to Judah or to both of them, uh, together. I understand that. And I understand that we in America are not Israel. We have not replaced Israel. No, God still has a, a work and a job that he's doing with Israel. But the message and the intent and the, 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 the impact of that message, I believe that we as a people, not only in of the United States, but in particular, the church needs to wake up and really look and see, wow, how, 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 how much we see this right here within our own nation. I mean, when we look back at Second Timothy and he says, in the last days, these perilous times are going to come and men are going to be lovers of themselves, proud blasphemers, both and on and on he went. We say, wow, this is going more and more and more and more. And some people say, well, we just have better news coverage now. No, I think that wickedness continues to rise and righteousness is becoming a much smaller factor within our nation. Am I the only one that thinks that? No, I, I, I think that we, we can just look at that in a whole lot of what's going on in our nation, but also within our world today. So we go back to, again, what God was speaking to his people, Israel or to Judah. He says, wow, this is the mind frame of God. This is how God works. This is God's MO, his modus operandi, okay, his method of operation. And if we can learn, if this is how God worked then, and we know that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, do you think that we could stand back and say, yeah, but God won't do us that way? We're special. Our parents have been telling us we're special all of our lives. We're special. No, you're not special, okay? Let me just throw that out there, okay? I'm going to blend that in. You're just one of many, okay? Now, God can do a special work within you. There's no doubt about that. But the fact is, if we are rebellious of nature, and if we reject the truth of God over and over and over again, God's word from Genesis to Revelation 
declares that there's going to be discipline. And he also speaks of those that have turned their back on him will face his wrath. And that's what that day of the Lord is all about. The great wrath of God being poured out on the world. I've been disciplined by God in my 61 years. I've been disciplined a lot, a whole lot, more than I can count. But I've never had the wrath of God poured out on me. Praise God. Because I believe that if the wrath of God were poured out on me, this old boy wouldn't be sitting here, okay? Uh, there'd be somebody else in this place. There'd be something else doing. The wrath of God is something that none of us want to face. And as a matter of fact, you who are of the household of faith, you who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, the word of God promises that you were not intended for the wrath of God. So who gets the wrath of God? The non-believers. Believers will get the discipline of God. Why? Because the word also says that a loving father disciplines his children. So as we read this and as we look at Joel, understand, can we, can we simply take and bring this kind of into our nation and say, yeah, within our nation, we can see things, we can see parallels here of what's going on in our nation with what's going on in Israel. And really and truly, we could go back and we could look through countries through history and we could see where God's hand had blessed countries and nations and people, and yet after a period of time, they walked away from the Lord. Germany, the home of some of the greatest, deepest theologians, uh, again, since, since uh, New Testament times. And yet it was Germany that became Nazi Germany, and again, just the destruction that was there. England, again, a, a nation that was blessed mightily by God. I mean, they stretched out all over the globe, the power and the authority of, of England. And there were great spiritual minds and theological minds within the nation of England. But again, as England got cold to the things of God, again, they began to shrink and shrink and shrink. And now there are more mosques being built in England than there are churches. As a matter of fact, churches close, close and mosques move in. And you can see it all over England. It's just a shame. There's more, uh, what is the, uh, uh, somebody was sharing that there's more warlocks than there are Methodists. And, you know, there's, there's a whole little line going on, you know, about different things. Again, just the whole change of climate within England. But that would never happen to the land of the free and the home of the brave, would it? You better shake your head like this. Because I believe should, should the Lord tarry that we are headed there downhill on skidded paths. And the only thing that's holding him back right now, I believe, is the church. And if the church moves into an anemic state to where we're not powerful, we're not mighty in the Lord, we're not walking in the Spirit, we become very much filled with religion. Oh, worship is great, but don't expect me to really walk that out and live that out during my life. Don't expect me to live the life of a servant with humility toward others. No, that, that's not what I'm about. Oh, but I love coming to church. Love it. If that's what church is about, that there, there's no power in that. There's no strength in that. There's no ability to be able to stand against the wiles of the devil as he comes against you. There's three, there are three chapters in the book of Joel. 
and it can pretty well be easily divided into two parts. The uh, two parts, first of all, beginning in, in chapter 1 at the very beginning and going through to chapter 2, the end of verse 17. And then in verse 18, it kind of changes mode and and begins going again just the the blessings of the lord and he continues that on uh through the end a couple of more in, instructions and and corrections and warnings but by and large uh from verse 18 on he starts speaking about the the blessings of god god's desire to restore to reconcile and to rebuild if the people were willing to repent those four things, God willing to restore, reconcile, and rebuild, but the people needed to repent, okay? Let's look at Joel. The word of the Lord came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders. It's interesting that the very first thing, he speaks to the leadership. He speaks to the leadership. And I think that speaks not only to the leadership of our nation, Okay, uh, again, the, the political leaders of our land, but also it speaks to the leaders of our churches. Yeah, pastors, uh, elders within the church, leaders within ministries of the church. So again, the responsibility of leadership is always there because they need to lead. They need to lead in righteousness. They need to lead in, in holiness. They need to lead in the way of the Lord. Uh, again, we read back in the, the time of the judges and that every man was doing what was right in his own eyes. And again, they got further and further away from the Lord until the Lord would raise up a judge as a leader to bring them back to the things of God. So his first word is, hear this, you elders. And then he says, and give ear, all you inhabitants of the land. So that's all of the people. So, no, you're not without excuse. Well, you know, it's my government. Hey, well, it's the, it's the pastor of the church. Well, it's the, no, we're all responsible within our own calling. Give ear, all you inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days or even in the days of your father? Tell your children about it and let your children tell their children and their children another generation. Then he starts speaking about this calamity that's that's taken place. What the chewing locusts left, the swarming locusts have eaten. What the swarming locusts left, the crawling locusts have eaten. And what the crawling locusts left, the consuming locusts have eaten. Chewing, swarming, crawling, consuming locusts taking everything. In essence, he's saying everything's been wiped out and everything that you thought, well, maybe there's a little bit of a morsel left. No, there's there's one other uh, swarm of locusts that are coming in and to where it's all gone at this point. He says in verse 5, Awake, you drunkards, and weep, and wail, all you drinkers of wine, because of the new wine, for it's been cut off from your mouth. For a nation has come up against my land. They're strong and without number. His teeth are the teeth of a lion. He has the fangs of a fierce lion. He's laid waste my vine, ruined my fig tree. He stripped it bare and thrown it away, and its branches are made white. The devastation throughout the land 
was there. And again, it's, it's not a, uh, a hill that I'm going to die on. Rather, you think that it's a locust, actual, uh, the, the little winged creatures that came and did that. That, that's fine. Or rather, it's the Assyrians. The fact is, is devastation has happened to the land. God's, and, and we've talked about this many times, where we live, when we live in obedience, we live under that protective hand of God. When we walk in disobedience, it's not that God's moved away, it's that we've moved out from underneath that protective hand. And so we get ourselves right in, again, within the enemy's uh, sights to be able to pour out all kinds of stuff in us. So again, because of their sin, because of their rebellion, they've moved out from underneath the covering of God's hand. And all of this devastation has come against them. Listen to what he says, verse 8, 9, and 10. Lament like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the husband of her youth. That's one thought here. I believe that that's, that's, that's a major emotional loss that's going through the people. If you can just imagine when they say like a virgin that's girded with sackcloth, that meant that they did not quite get married. They were engaged, but somehow before they became engaged, that husband was, was taken away either because of, because of death or whatever the reason. So again, just the devastation of that. If you can, again, just, just imagine that thought you're engaged and then maybe just perhaps, uh, days or weeks before your, your wedding day, uh, that, that, that groom is, 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 is murdered or taken out of the scene. Just the devastation that that would be. So again, there's an emotional loss that's going through with the people. Then verse nine. Grain offering and the drink offering have been cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn who minister to the Lord. So I believe there in verse 9, he's talking about a spiritual loss. We talked the other, the other day about those that, again, uh, uh, there, there was nothing. Their, their, their worship was absolutely empty and useless. Well, that's not necessarily what they're saying here. What they're saying is everything that they would use for the offering, for the worship has been taken away, the, the grain offerings that they would give, the drink offerings that they would give. All of these things have been taken away and, and lost. The priest mourn who ministered to the Lord. And then there's a financial loss in verse 10. The field is wasted. The lands mourn for the grain is ruined. The new wine is dried up and the oil fails. There's not even a way to make a living at that point in time. So every aspect of their life has been pretty much wiped out. And he says in verse 11, be ashamed, you farmers. Wail, you vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field has perished. All of their investment, all of their security, everything is gone. Be ashamed, you farmers. I look at my garden that I tried to grow this summer. Okay. I'm kind of ashamed of that garden because my summer garden did absolutely nothing. Okay. But again, here, no, we're talking about major farmers that are producing not only for their own families, but also for the nation and for trade and, and for uh, income and everything. And their farms are able to produce nothing because of the devastation that took place. All the wheat, all the barley, the harvest, all of it's perished. The vine is dried up. The fig tree has withered. The pomegranate tree and the palm tree also, and the apple tree 
all, in case, he says, in case I forgot any, all the fields of, or the trees of the field are withered. Surely, what has withered? Joy has withered from the sons of men. The economic crash that happened here in the United States back around 2007, 2008 in that range, some of it happened a little earlier in some parts, some a little later. The devastation that that was in some people's lives, people actually took their lives. There was a a high rise, a high spike of, of suicides during that time. Why? Because in just a single day or within a couple of days, people lost everything, lost absolutely everything. Uh, there were situations that I know uh, of, of people who had invested together all of their all of their retirement, and everything was pretty well planned and set to go. Yeah, I've, I've got this great man. Uh, next year, I'm going to be able to retire, and we're going to be able to live pretty good for the rest of our life. And then all of a sudden, every, everything was taken away. I mean, pennies to the dollar, and some just couldn't handle that. From the book of Hosea to the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, the 12 minor prophets are rich with important prophecies, some pertaining to things that have already happened and some pertaining to things that are yet to come. Join us as Pastor David teaches through these books verse by verse. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to www.theopenword.com. That's theopenword.com. Although the open word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's word from beginning to end. If not, we'd like to invite you to join us at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande for worship on Saturday evenings, Sunday mornings, or Wednesday evenings. For service times, driving directions, and more information, log on to theopenword.com and follow the link to Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. Make sure and check out our Facebook page, log on to theopenword.com, and then follow the link to the Open Word Facebook page. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with David Landry. Please join us next time for the next edition of The Open Word.